can be found on page 1061 of the Church Bibles. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. The Lord is risen, isn't he? Are you sure? Yes. Great. Well, we're post-Easter, and uh, what do we do with that? Have you ever been to a, uh, walked into a room where the whole place is buzzing with conversation, and you haven't a clue what it's about? And you're longing to know what it's about, and everybody's going, have you heard? Did you know? Really? Is it all How exciting? And, and you're not in on it. Well, that story that Lynn's just read to us has that kind of feel about it. How could he not realize this strange person, all that's been going on? What's, what's this about? Because post-resurrection, everything uh, was different. It wasn't quite the same as it was before. Before the Passion, Jesus walked into a room. He ate the food everybody else ate. Um, he appeared human because he was, in every sense, human. 
But his divinity, his, his holiness was much harder for the disciples to get hold of. They, they didn't really do it. And they grappled with the idea that this son of man, as Jesus had portrayed himself to them, had to, had to die. They, they just didn't get it. Uh, and over and over again, that had been explained to them. The Son of Man must suffer. And, and he said it to them so many times. Onwards from Caesarea Philippi in Mark 8, he was always saying, this is what's necessary and vital. And, and it's in your scriptures. Can't you get it? And, and yet, these poor people just, just couldn't. And let's face it, it would be very hard, wouldn't it? It would be outside your comfort zone to actually look and say, this person who's walking with us is going to die on a cross, and that is going to achieve the salvation of the world. I mean, how would you have responded to that? Yeah, yeah, or words to that effect. It would have been so hard to get hold of. And yet after the resurrection, there are several appearances that are known with one clear purpose in view. There, there are loads of them. They're, they're dotted all around the end of the, the Gospels. And and there's one purpose, that this man who was on the cross, in every sense human, was taken down, put in a cave grave, which is how they used to bury important people, and had come out of that cave alive. Now, I've seen dead bodies. I'm sure some of you have. Uh, I vividly remember, the one I vividly remember was my own father, going up to the bedroom where he was dying of cancer, and, and speaking to a dead body. But he never responded. I shall never, ever forget that moment, that moment of death. Death is there, and it's final. And yet, what we're being asked to believe is that that person who was dead, buried in a cave grave, is not here And therefore, our approach to life must always include the concept of bodily resurrection. And and this has been traded about theologically for for a lot of years. But in terms of what the Bible teaches, it's very, very clear that the Bible takes this absolutely literally, not figuratively, not some kind of image thing, but literally If you want to read Paul's reasoning on 1 Corinthians 15, read it for yourself when you get home. If Christ is not risen from the dead, we're a bunch of idiots. I paraphrase slightly for your benefit. But that's basically what he says. If he is not risen, it's rubbish. Let's knock this place down. We don't need a new vicar. Let's get on with life. Because if he is not risen, we're finished. And that's the whole thrust. But what we've got in this story is two men going to a village a few miles outside Jerusalem. And uh, nobody knows where it is, actually. They've they've drawn seven-mile circles around Jerusalem and tried to find it, but nobody's absolutely sure where it is, this little village of Emmaus to which they were traveling. And Lonely Luke tells this story, and it's got some very, very important themes within it. One is the promise of the Word of God. The whole appeal that Jesus makes, we'll see later, is is on the basis of the word of God, the the prophets, what was said, what had been written. This was not a new idea. This was not a new concept. It was a fulfillment of all that had been written before. Jesus is not distinct from the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of it. And you must always understand the Bible in that way. Jesus, secondly, as a prophet of Israel. 
they hadn't got that idea very much, the, the disciples, but that's very much in this story. And clearly, his role as Messiah, as Savior, comes through here as well. So the passage starts with two men on their way to this village, and they're heading home after a difficult weekend. Oh, it's been rubbish, isn't it? Oh dear, what a life, eh? Have you seen all the things that have happened in Jerusalem? We thought this was going to go somewhere. We thought this was going to be brilliant. You know, oh, this was going to be the, the beginning of, of the new Israel. This was going to be brilliant. And Jesus was going to be the leader of it. And they'd probably be talking about the arrest and the trials and the flogging and the crucifixion, the darkness in the middle of the day, the graves opening up, the temple curtain torn. They had so much to talk about. The meaning of the empty tomb. And verse 18, when we get to it, reveals the intensity, doesn't it? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know about this? A bit like my party illustration. Are you the only bloke around here who hasn't heard? And all that had happened was that Jesus had come alongside them. They didn't know it was him. Go home with that idea, folks, today. The idea of the desire of Jesus to be intimate with you. Whether you call that going deeper. Some of you may not feel like going deeper at the moment. You may feel life's too horrible. Please live with the idea that what happened on this road to Emmaus, Jesus wants to happen to you. I have an Australian friend, David Cook. Every time you meet David, whether it's morning, noon, or night, he'll always say, good day, Dave. Good day. Every time, good day. Good day, mate. And every time he says it, I often think of this story of Jesus just sort of coming alongside these two guys. Good day. How are you doing? Good day. Have you lost that, that sense of intimacy? That, that sense that Jesus, just as he drew alongside these two men, wants to draw near to you, wants to draw alongside you in your present, your current need, whatever that may be, whatever you're feeling this morning. You don't feel maybe like going deeper. You don't feel like it because life is too stinky and horrible. Let me tell you this, that Jesus still wants to draw near to you. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to speak to you. And it's clear that this, this stranger joins them. The key issue is what has happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. That's the issue that's on their mind. And Jesus comes alongside to help them with it. He doesn't say, I would like to tell you about the book of Joshua. He says, no. I want to deal with your present need. Your present need is, I do not understand all this Jerusalem stuff for the last few days. I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. The present need is the one that Jesus meets. And the beautiful truth of this story is that wherever you're at this morning, that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. He wants to draw alongside and explain to you and help you understand Whatever is on your mind. 
And his question may, on the face of it, sound uh, quite insensitive, you know. It, it was obviously in the public domain. Everybody knew that was going on. It's like one of those stories that you know how it's all going to end. But, and of course, Jesus knows. But he has to ask them why. Not because he wants to know, but because he wants to open them up. Are you the only one? What things? Says Jesus. Now, of course he knows. He was the central character of the whole plot. Of course he knows. But what he wants to do, and this is Jesus all over, isn't it? You can see it sometimes with, when he asks these perceptive questions right the way through the gospel. He knows the answer, but what he wants to do is to draw us out and, and let us express our doubts and our fears and our questions. And he says, come on, talk to me. Don't give me religious mumbo-jumbo. Give me your heart. Give me what you feel now. Give me, give me what you're about now. I want to be with you where you are. How often we, we segregate, don't we? The, uh, the, old, the old word used to be the sacred and the secular, you know? And there's a Sunday, sex, very sort of holy bit. And then there's real life over here. Jesus says to that absolute rubbish, I want to draw near where you are in your situation. I want you to know that I am with you and I understand you. Nobody understands your issues better than Jesus. Not even if you sat next to your spouse this morning. Nobody understands you better than him. Why is it that so often we won't share the deepest intimacies of our hearts with the one who understands them the best? Because he does. And so Jesus gets there. The response is twofold, isn't it? He was, he was a, a prophet, the one who speaks from God, powerful in word and deed, it says. Secondly, what had recently happened to them, the chief priests, you get the story of Easter over again, don't you? Some of the women had been to the tomb, the story's relayed over again. Others went to see, and all, all the rest of it comes out. And then Jesus just graciously, lovingly, looks at these, these guys and he begins with a rebuke. He says, how foolish, how slow of heart. It's a bit like the dad's army character, isn't it? You stupid boy. Don't you get it? Jesus sometimes says that to us. No, he doesn't say stupid boy. Of course he doesn't. But he does sometimes say, how foolish. In a very loving way, like you might, as I've said to my children, that would be really silly, wouldn't it, if you did that? And you say it very lovingly and very tenderly, but you're actually saying, no, no, you couldn't possibly be that silly, could you? And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't you know? And Jesus begins with that rebuke, and you see, they've got the wrong Jesus in their heads. I don't vividly remember when I was in Christchurch Forward in Sheffield, I was going to give a talk about Jesus. And uh, the curate that I grew very close to and still am, very good friend, I said, Gavin, I'm going to give a talk about Jesus tonight. And he looked me straight in the eye with that steely American look and he said, Dave, which Jesus? 
Which Jesus? Are you going to talk about the real Jesus? The Jesus who was crucified and died on a cross in agony. The physical agony, yes, but the sheer mental agony of bearing the sin of the world. Are you going to talk about that? Are you going to talk about the Jesus that appeared to several, having been risen from the dead, who washed their feet and taught them how to be a servant? He taught them many times about the death and resurrection. He'd done all that. And it's if Luke is saying here, don't sink into the fog that these two guys have got into, this unreality of Jesus. Let's look at the true things that Jesus is about. Now, this is the next bit. The next bit I would have loved. This is, I've said this to you before. I, I would have loved a video camera right here to get Jesus' Bible overview. We used to teach these Bible overviews at events that I was involved with, and we take people right the way through the Scriptures. And boy, does Jesus do that with them. He says, now, beginning with Moses and the prophets, let me unwrap this for you. And I would go further. I would say that Jesus almost certainly went back to the creation. God created the world. Men sinned. They were thrown out of the garden. But God was gracious and he gave them new purpose and new life. And, and despite their stupidity and their disobedience through all those years, God kept saying, I am your God, you are my people. I am God, I am not going to let you go. Don't you get it? And that's what Jesus said. Yes, suffering, don't you understand this? Moses led them to the place of promise, didn't he? That's why he talked about Moses. God led them to where they were meant to be. The Passover lamb was killed and the blood was shed. And I can almost hear Jesus say all this. He says, don't you get it? Passover lamb, blood was shed, lamb that was slain. What did you see in Jerusalem? Don't you get it? Jesus has revealed it all the people were suffering and that's what Jesus did to alleviate it to die to take away sin and it seems clear that Jesus went through that all the occasions where the men of Israel were used by God to deliver and save God's people do you remember this one I bet he mentioned that as well do you remember David and Goliath don't take David and Goliath to say men can go out and slay giants. No, what David and Goliath means is that God provides a savior. Out of the ranks of the whole of Israel comes a little lad with a sling. Gone, finished. God has provided a savior. Don't you get it? Gideon, go on. Look at all the places in the Old Testament where God provides a Savior. And he went through them all with them. And they were probably saying, yeah, yeah, we, we know that. That's, we know that story. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we like that. That's good. Perhaps he reminded them of all these times that God had delivered them. God had been gracious to them completely and finally. So in other words, he's saying to these two guys, you don't need... A military leader to deliver you from the Romans, which was the traditional view in the first century. You have a suffering Messiah who can forgive sins. That's what this is saying. And Jesus saying that what you have witnessed in Jerusalem is the beginning of a new and better hope, the new covenant.
the new agreement between God and man. That's what you've witnessed. A Savior who is Christ the Lord has died to take away sin. And you can now face a holy God with sins washed away. And if your heart doesn't do a little yippee at that point, it ought to. Because God has delivered you from the only thing that can hold you back from an eternity with God. And you can almost sense this. Do you, do you sense that the, these two men suddenly, hmm, maybe we have got it wrong. Maybe we haven't got this quite right. And he'd explained it all to them. He'd explained how Jesus is not some sort of God having a second thought. This is not plan B. This is the fulfillment of plan A, which started in creation. And God planned it thus, that there would be a Savior who suffered. Uh, and it was getting late. And uh, you know what you say to people, well, come and have a cup of tea and a bun, you know? Hot cross buns this time of year, isn't it? Come and have a cup of tea. Let's come and have a cup of tea. It'd be nice to just pop in. And, and these guys were just like anybody else. Jesus said, no, I've, I've done what I need to do. I've explained. So I'm going to go on. They said, oh, do come in. Do come in. Come in. Come and eat with us. Do you, do you see the intimacy in this story? It's, it's absolutely everywhere. And, and this, this idea that Jesus made as if to go further. And these guys said, no, come in. They're beginning to get the intimacy. They want to be with this guy. This stranger that's walked with them and explained to them all that's happened in Jerusalem. They want to be with him. He's attractive. There are some days when, and this is going to sound absolutely, probably, uh, I don't know, something terrible that I'll be up before a consistory court for. But sometimes, you know, I think the church gets in the way of Jesus. We're too busy with churchianity to know what Christianity really is like. Now, the church is God's idea, and it's great, and it's brilliant. I'm totally with that. But in God's name, let's let Jesus out. Let's make this a place where Jesus is known. And where in all our gatherings, whether they be small groups and women's meetings or men's meetings or youth or children, what's going on out there this morning? Let's let him out. Because when he comes and when he is part of something and we hear his words, then they are transformative. And so that's why we need to read this every day if we can. To hear what Jesus says. And he comes in and he breaks bread. Now again, this is one of those moments, isn't it? And he just does what he did on that Passover night. What does it say? He just said, this is my body which is broken for you. You can almost hear him saying it, can't you? And after a complete Old Testament run through, with the prophets looking for a savior, there before their very eyes is the man who breaks bread, just as he did at the Passover. He takes it, he gives thanks, he gives it to them. Here it is. Can you imagine that moment? You just imagine what those two men felt. Oh, don't undramatize the Bible. 
whatever you do, that moment of drama, wow, it's him. It's him. It's the man of Calvary. He's here with us. It's him that's explained everything to us. It's him. They'd heard the best Bible overview that man has ever heard. And they've had a great moment. I just want to share with you when I was training, and some years ago now, I was taken on a tour of Oxford by a guy called Andrew Atherston, who I think still lectures at Wycliffe. And, and he took us to the Latimer Ridley Memorial. And he made us stand on the cross. A little tile thing. It's no bigger than this lectern here. Where these two men stood for Jesus. Before they were burnt at the stake. I shall never ever forget that time, that moment. Where I thought here there were two guys who stood for Jesus. Before they were burnt at the stake. Now I think that's nothing compared to what these men felt. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he broke bread and he was known to us? And I guess as they went to bed that night, full of gratitude that Jesus had been gracious enough to come alongside them, to walk with them, to explain to them, to teach them, to love them, to rebuke them for their lack of understanding and to say, try and do something to understand a little bit better. And they went to bed thinking, we have met the Lord. We have met the Lord. Friends, we can do the same thing. By his spirit, we can meet with the living Jesus this morning. And maybe you've lost, as I said earlier, that intimacy, that sense of God's presence in your life day by day. Maybe you've neglected to read what God has, has said to you very clearly about what he's come to do and how he did it. We read, don't we, a lot, and we study a lot, and we look on the internet a lot, and we understand lots of things, but do we, and I rebuke myself for this as much as you, do, do we actually give the Scriptures time to teach us? When you were all surveyed, David did his survey, I did the number crunching, and what came out right at the top was a desire by you to know the Scriptures better. Now, it's not head knowledge. It's not being clever. It's not being a brilliant theologian. It is doing what happened here. It is meeting with the living Jesus in the living word, which is transformative. And if that word of God is not central to the life of a group of believers, it will starve to death. And if the Holy Spirit does not come and anoint that word and make it something which is living and real, then again, down we go. 
So let's understand what this is all about. It's about a wonderful moment. The scales fell from their eyes. Yes, it's Jesus. My prayer for you this morning, friends, is, is that with all the busyness of life and all the stuff that's going on in our world today, all the issues that you face in your life, that the scales will just drop from your eyes. When I entered the pulpit, I told you this last time, I think, but I'll say it again. When I entered the pulpit at Forward, where I was in Sheffield, there's a little piece of card, a tatty little bit of card. They ought to replace it sometimes, but it's still there. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Every time you went into that pulpit, that's what you saw before you got up to preach. I hope you've seen Jesus this morning. I hope you've realized that he wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to come alongside you and walk with you in your way. He wants to be known when we break bread and drink wine together that he died for you because he loves you so much. And then he moves on. Oh, that God would do that for you this morning. And you would know him. And you talk with him. And like my Australian friend, when he says, good day, you say, oh, good day. Not in any irreverent way. But say, Jesus, I want to talk with you too. And give him your heart. Give him what's on your mind. Give him the things in your life which trouble you. And he will speak with you. Because he doesn't break promises. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible story. Thank you that Jesus does come alongside us, does want to walk with us, does have something to say to us, does have a story to communicate. He very much wants to reveal himself to us just as he revealed himself to those two men all those years ago. And I pray for my friends here this morning that they truly will know a fresh and wonderful revelation of the person of Jesus walking with them in the way. That whatever the week holds for them, the, the week that's coming up, whatever their life looks like ahead, that they will be conscious that there is the person of Jesus to walk with them. So help us all to listen to his words, to love to hear his story, to long to be with him, that he may change us more and more into his likeness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I invite you to 